Well, good morning. Thank you for letting me join you today. Um, as he said, I have been on staff at E-Free for 30 years, and this year, uh, God uh, called me somewhere else. And I think uh, we always need to be asking the question, is this where you still want me? Uh, where do you want me to go? How do you use me best? And um, so I made a radical change, and the reason I make a radical change is part of what I want to share with you uh, this morning. And I'm here to be persuasive. So if you feel a nudge, it's intentional, okay? This morning, I want to talk a little about the world. And there we go. Thank you. Um, the condition of the world, what's happening in the world, what God is doing uh, around the world. And the verse that prompts such a question comes from Luke 56. And, okay, I'm insecure because this is behind me, so I'll just, yeah. Uh, Jesus said this, You know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky, and then he asked this kind of penetrating question. How is it that you don't know how to interpret this present time? Now, that present time has gone, but the principles of his statement are still here. This is kind of a rhetorical question, but I think we should answer. How would we answer the question? You and I are often blind to what God is doing in our midst because we're not seeking it. I'm not saying all of us aren't always seeking it, but when we're not, we're, we're blind. We need to be seeking his kingdom daily and what he is about. So in order to interpret this present time, we have to look for it. And when we figure out what God is about, when we figure out what God is doing, I mean, more specifically, I think that answers the question what we should be about. Jesus said this, the field is white for harvest. Why did he tell them that? Is he just trying to give them the state of the union? He was telling them that so that they would see what he sees, think like he thinks, and then do what he is doing. And of course, really, Jesus is not talking about wheat. He's talking about people. He's talking about people. Um, and, and he says this so that we figure out where God is working so that we can do the same thing. Why wouldn't you want to do the same thing? And part of our responsibility is to find out where it's white in the world, where God is doing special things in the world, and work in that area. And what I want to do this morning is hold, ask you to hold two ideas in your mind at the same time. This is called higher education, to be able to do this. It was Einstein who said the opposite of truth is not falsehood, but an opposite or opposing truth. You say, well, how can that be? Let me show you. Let me give you two opposite truths and then hold them in the forefront of your minds at the same time. Are you ready? First truth. God's kingdom is advancing around the world like never before. That's a fact. The light of the gospel has never been brighter than it is right now. But the second truth is this, the darkness is advancing around the world like never before. Darkness has never been so prevalent. America in particular, I think, is on the verge of collapse, my opinion. We have reached a degree of decadence and immorality that no country historically has ever recovered from. No one's ever gone that far off the waterfall and still made it back safely. Never, not once. America has passed that line. I don't know that we can go back without 
a Jesus thing going on, without a miracle going on, without, without something that just violates historical norms, we're not going back. And because of our place in the world, the collapse of America economically, militarily, morally, would have an absolutely cascading negative effect around the world. And we don't want to go there because it'll have a profound detriment and all the good that the gospel has brought around the world. And again, this collapse can be prevented. You, you, you know the verse. If my people are called by, who are called by my name will humble themselves and seek my face and, and, and turn from their wickedness, I will hear from heaven and heal their land. Now, the thing I want you to notice about this verse is who needs to repent? Us or them? If my people called by my name it starts right here. All that to say, it can happen. We can change. But it has to start right here. And I want to share a lot of numbers with you this morning. All these numbers were ultimately retrieved from kind of one source. I'm just going to kind of give it to you at once. It's all from Gordon Conwell Seminary in the Center for the Study of Global Christianity. There's a gentleman by the name of Fred Marquette, who is the church admissions liaison for Gordon Conwell. And he has passed these numbers on. I, I heard a number of lectures from him, and I stole all his notes at least that I could take. And, um, and this is uh, where he is, who he is, and where we got it. I was privileged to go with Dave Sodergren, where you are, are you, Dave? And uh, Scott back there um, to the ISI staff conference, national staff conference. And what I want to do is I want to bring a piece of what I learned back to you uh, for you to see. Now, let me just start by saying this. I don't think, yeah, there, there it is. there's us at the National Staff Conference. Can you find, can you find me? I, oh, I, I have a pointer. Oh, yeah, there we are. See the guy with the hat? Let's see, where's the guy with the hat? <laughs> I can't find me. Okay, I'm in there, trust me. Okay, um, let me start by saying this. Um, um, I think the Bible is clear. I, I'm sure you all agree that uh, we win in the end. Okay, we all believe that in the end, every, every knee shall bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, and the victory is sealed in the cross. That happened already. Ever since then, I think we've been in kind of a cleanup operation. When the U.S. landed on the beaches of Normandy in World War II, the war was effectively over. That was the decisive victory for the U.S. and its allies. The war was not over, but it was all but over. From that time forward, Germany had no chance to win the war. But I think that's kind of like what the cross was. In Europe, it took one year and 11 more days before Germany surrendered. Until then, we're doing cleanup. And when Jesus said, it is finished, it is finished. The war was won, and the church has been in a 2,000-year kind of cleanup operation, and there's no doubt who's going to win. Does anybody have any doubt who's going to win? Anybody not read the end of the book? Okay, we, we win in the end, which means this. No matter how dark it gets, I don't have to wring my hands. I don't have to pull out my hair. Don't think what you're thinking. <laughs> don't let the news send you in depression. There is so much more going on than what we read and we see with our eyes. Um, our work matters, and your work is making a world of difference around the world. I was told recently, 
And then I saw it with my own eyes. I could not believe this. I went into the men's room at Montana State University right across from the sub. And in the men's room right across from the sub, I can't believe I even have to say this, there are products on the wall that you would only find in a women's restroom for all of time in the past. And now they're in the men's room. We don't even know who to identify with in our gender anymore. I mean, I mean are we, seriously? Are we that lost? Now, this is really discouraging for me, but it's part of the darkness that's getting darker. And just to throw some good news on this, let me remind you of the end of the story. Revelation 7 says this, And there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. Big number. Every tribe, every nation, people, every language, standing before the throne in front of the Lamb. Did you catch the tribes and nations and tongues? People from everywhere are there. That is what God is about. And my question to you is that we should ask ourselves, is that what we are about? Is that what we are about? Many of you are about this in public. Some of you are still deciding if you're about this for real in private. And part of my goal is to encourage you. If we call ourselves Christ followers, then we need to follow what God is doing around the world. Jesus said this, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. As a pastor, this was one of my most comforting verses. I will build my church. Brett, <laughs> don't get in the way. <laughs> okay, stay out of the way. And he's going to build his church. But check the last part. The picture here is not of Satan beating down the doors of the church as we huddle in the church sanctuary together, wondering if the doors are going to hold. The picture is the church beating down the gates of hell. And let me just ask you a question. Why are we doing this? What is behind those gates? Someone yell it out. What, why, what is motivating us to beat down those gates? What do we want to do in there? Somebody tell me. There's people behind those gates. There's people whom Jesus loves behind those gates, and they're going to be behind those gates until we beat them down and get in there and rescue them. Every conversation you and I have with a non-believer, there is a big gate between us and them, and it's Satan himself, and we need to beat down those gates. Now, that's a metaphor. We need to pray for them. We need to use truth. We need to love them. We need to win them to Jesus. And that's warfare, people. That is warfare. Let me tell you something. No matter what you think of President Trump, he will not make America great again. And neither would have Hillary. And neither will any candidate. The only hope for America is the only hope for the world. And the only hope for the world is the only hope for our soul. Our hope is found in nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Amen? The gospel is the only hope for the world. It's the only hope for America. It's the only hope for you and me. So let me tell you some good news. Did you know, did you know that the church is advancing around the world, exceeding, and in some cases far exceeding the population growth in all but a handful of countries around the world? It's true. Is it true in America? No, it's actually holding its own. Of course, we're only producing 1.8 people per couple, so those aren't super numbers, but we're holding our own. 
Is it in Canada? No. Is it in the UK? No. Is it in the Middle East? No. But virtually every other country, save 20 countries, the advance of the church is beating population growth. That's good news, people. For example, in Thailand, for every 100 babies born, there's 103 Buddhist Thais who accept Christ. That's good news. That's the advance of the gospel. Look at the growth of believers around the world in the past 40 years. In 1970, and these are all statistics, I know, statistics, but they're numbers to start with, to work with. In 1970, we had 102 billion people who call themselves Christian who follow Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, okay? In 2014, that number goes to 2.6 billion. That's global church growth now two times larger than we were 44 years ago. Do you see this exponential growth that's going on? Something is going on in this world. Let me talk about our renewalist movement. You say, well, who, who, who are they? Well, those are the people who believe in what's called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Um, people who have a prayer language. I'm gonna guess that's not the major portion of this crowd, but they are our brothers and sisters in Christ. Let me talk about their, uh, their, their numbers. In 1970, we could count 63 million. In 2014, 710 million. The Spirit-filled church globally now 11 times larger than it was 44 years ago. That they are 78% of the global Protestantism. That's a big number, folks. The renewalists are the face of the church in the 20th century around the world. Let me tell you something. God is on the move. And my question is, are we moving in the same direction? Let me uh, show you a website. And I don't know if Austin can project this. But if not, oh yeah, there it is. This is just a series of websites in a uh, hundred different languages. I don't know if the word hundred is correct, but a whole bunch of websites where the gospel is shared and there's material for follow-up and opportunities for people to actually get in touch with churches. That's today. That's today. We have 175,000 gospel visits, 27,000 decisions. That's just today. I love to look at this just different times during, during the day. And 65,000 of those people are doing some sort of discipleship activity where they're reading and being involved in or downloading a follow-up uh, growth material. One of the things you'll notice, you know, it's color-coded. You don't see many yellow decisions in North America. There's 278, 279, 280. America is tough to reach, and, but this is a tool that is being very effective around the world. We'll, we'll move on to the slideshow. You can look this up on your own uh, site. This is uh, witness2all.com. I carry it around with me. It's op open all the time. Let me tell you about another tool. Uh, this is a book I, I read here just this last uh, uh, fall, um, a year ago. A Wind in the House of Islam. This is documenting the advance of the gospel in the Muslim world in nine distinct cultural geographical areas where Islam resides. 
and you'll see the word CPM, that's church planting movement in the House of Islam. So the first 1,200 years of Islam, there, are, um, um, there were no CPMs. There were no church planting movements that, that could be recorded. There were individuals getting saved all the time, but no spontaneous multiplication of indigenous churches. So for the first 1,200 years of Islam, there was no church planting movements, only individual Muslims getting saved. But 1885, we have our first church planting movement where tens of thousands of Muslims being saved and forming of multiple, multiplying churches. Okay, a church planting movement isn't just, oh, we have a church. We're talking about massive people, uh, like 10,000, coming to Christ in a particular geographical area. This is documented. But if you go to 1980, we see the number from one in 1885, so 100 years later, we now have 11 uh, church planting movements. But if you move it up to 2000 to 2012, we can count and document 69 church planting movements where literally millions of Muslims, Muslims converting uh, to Christ around the world every single year. And only since 2012, for the first time in history, we see these church planting movements are happening in all nine, all nine geographical cultural houses of Islam. That's Turkestan, the Persian world, Western South Asia, Eastern South Asia, Indo-Malaysian, North Africa, West Africa, East Africa, and the Arab world. That's all nine locations. Bottom line, there are amazing things, amazing victories with the gospel in the hardest of reached places. Now the numbers are still daunting the other way, but this is movement. And here's what I want you to see. The gospel changes lives. Now we hear that all the time and we, we don't think about what that means. The gospel changes people and how they live and how people live changes cultures. The gospel adds life to lives and quality of lives to individuals and entire cultures. Opposite, the devil comes to kill and steal and destroy, but the gospel gives life uh, and gives it more abundantly. I don't know if I have that. No, I don't. Okay. Um, for example, you'll see economic development because of the gospel. You'll see educational development because of the gospel. You'll see scientific development, medical development, everything. Let's just look at global poverty. In 1990, the numbers were awful. 52% of the world was in extreme poverty. Documented fact. 2014, 21%. Remember, this is in that same period of time when the gospel and the, the church doubles its size. 2015, 16%. 2018, 10%. The lowest extreme poverty ever seen in the history of the world. When did you see this on the news last? <laughs> Isn't this just radical? Why, why aren't we seeing this on the news? Some people say that the rich are getting richer. Whatever. Let me tell you a fact. The poor are getting richer faster than, than they ever have in the history of the world. Why? Because of the gospel. I'm not, you know, I'm not a health and welfare gospel guy. I'm just saying the gospel changes lives and cultures. Let's look at global poverty. Of the 16%, um, excuse me, of that 10% who are still in poverty, 90% of them are in the unreached people groups of the 1040 window. Is that a screen? Yeah. Yeah. Of the 10% are still in poverty. 90% of them are still uh, in, in poverty. Excuse me. 
90% of them are in the unreached people groups of the 1040 window, which are among the Muslims and the Hindus and the Buddhists, who still don't have a significant church planting movement in their area. Where the gospel is not, poverty reigns because the devil comes to kill, steal, and destroy. That's what Satan does, but God comes to bring life and to bring it abundantly. In fact, secular authors are even writing books about this. You won't see it in the news, but you will find secular author, authors talking about that. Let me give you an example. Um, here's a guy named John, um, and I'll ruin his name, but Micklethwaite. And he is the editor of a magazine called The Economist out of London. And he wrote a book called God is Back. Well, you and I know he never left, but he thought he left. And it's uh, subtitled, How the Global Revival of Faith is Changing the World. This is a secular guy writing this book. As an unbeliever, he says this, As the editor-in-chief of an economic magazine, I have to write about this. He didn't want to write about this. He has to write about this because the growth of Christianity is affecting global economics and it's conquering poverty. He said, you heard that God is dead. Well, God is back. Whoa, that, those, that's what the, the other side is saying. I love it when the world actually recognizes the fruit and the, and the life that gospel brings to people because they want to deny that. Here's another book, The Triumph of Faith by Rodney Stark. Boy, he's got a number of books. Anything you read by him will just blow you away. He's a professor of Christian history at Baylor. Awesome book. Several books on this topic on how Christianity is the source of all good things around the world, including science and math and medicine and on and on and on. Another article written in May of 2012 in the American Political Review uh, by Dr. Robert Woodbury. He set out to discover where the birth of democracy came from. And if you were to ask, where did democracy come from? Well, he learned, again, secularist, not, not a Christian. He learned, he, he, he did not set out to discover this, but he discovered that democracy follows, catch this, where missionaries have gone. What? It's true. It's because of their work that ultimately initiates the birth of democracy in country after country and ultimately around the world. You see, people become free from sin. Huh, that's a good thing. And that leads them to want to be free from the oppression of dictators, right? And sinners. If I'm free from sin, I want to be free from sinners as well, especially if they're my leaders. And then people get a taste for education. Truth came, education came, and it changed their life. They want more education, and people begin to care more about others than themselves. And all of that begins to happen, and democracy naturally follows. That's his work. And he's getting all kinds of shots. He's not a believer, but his... His uh, work is impeccable and very compelling. Um, again, um, the author himself says he about fell off his chair when he, when he hit this conclusion. He said it was like a nuclear explosion in my brain because he always thought and taught democracy came from secular reasons and all the research showed it had to do with the church. 
And that truth, again, goes against the secular narrative, and you won't hear it from them, but this secularist writes about it very convincingly, and of course it goes against the atheist agenda, but his research, again, is impeccable. Now the reason I share all this is to say that what makes the news, what makes the news today? What makes the news is how bad things are, right? But the gospel is saving the world in virtually every way you want to measure it. Further, nobody reports on the house that's not burning. Nobody reports on the fully functional, healthy, relational house. Only the one where incest took place and only the one that's burning. That's what the news is made of. They only report the bad stuff. And, and I'm convinced this, that every day the people, the news agencies, they get together and they say, okay, what's the worst stuff we can find? How do we make people panic? I, I mean, just watch it. I watch probably four times a week, I watch the evening news, and I'm just appalled of what goes on. And then they always put a nice warm and fuzzy story at the end. <laughs> because I want you to know they care. Yeah, thanks. Thanks a lot. The truth is that things have never been better in so many ways. For example, uh, worldwide life expectancy back in 1771, age 30. 2016, now this sounds low, but this is worldwide, not America, worldwide, double, 67 for men, 71 for women. You can trace that back to the gospel. Child mortality rate under the age of five. From 1990 to 2016, the child mortality rate under five dropped 56%. How come we're not hearing about this? There are many, many more stats and many more metrics all that show the gospel is improving and, and directly changing cultures. We can talk about the growth of democracy over autocracy. I mean, is this not the big battle of our day? We can talk about life expectancy. We can talk about famine deaths, extreme poverty as we did, natural disasters, literacy, freedom, better work hours. I mean, all this stuff you can trace back to the gospel. So the light of the gospel has never, never, never been so bright. And the fruit of the gospel has never done so much good. And so the best thing you could ever do is preach the gospel. Use words if you have to. Preach the gospel. There's a hundred thousand ways to do that. You are so gifted. Use your gifts in whatever part of the culture that you can, you can do it. Yet today, Look what else is happening. Today there is more persecution than ever before. The darkness has never been so dark. More people are losing their lives to the gospel than ever before. And America has never been so lost and on the verge of losing their place as the greatest power for good in the world. Let me just tell you, when we lose that place for good, it's not that other good takes it. Evil takes it. We, we want America to be the world policeman because when you don't police the bad guys, they don't go, oh, they like us. <laughs> no, no, they take over. They're like noxious weeds. We have to stop evil because evil will, will run rampant over God's people and will win. We need America to be strong. We need America to be strong. But so here's a tough question. Where have all the missionaries gone? Since 2000, we've had a 13% loss in career missionaries worldwide. What is going on when the need is so great? Since 2000, we've had a 32% loss in career missionaries in the United States. The cost of sending the average U.S. missionary now is uh, over $100,000 a 
a year. I just, I'm on a missions committee and we met with a couple in our church and uh, they are going to a South American country to work on a university. Their budget, is, as dictated by their missions organization, is $152,000 a year. Seriously? No wonder the numbers are dropping so bad. We can't, we can't sustain that. We could. There's enough money. But that just is in one more monster obstacle. Let me tell you about what's going on in China. In February of this year, new law requiring all churches of 20 or really gatherings of 20 plus people to register with the government. Why would you register with the government? Because they want to know who you are. China has a system of perks and points and you're rated. And oh, you're a Christian? Oh, you lost points. It's, it's overt persecution. Persecution in Chinese believers is on the rise. Many Christian visas are not being renewed. Uh, I work on the college campus. Dave Sodergren has been doing this for 18, 118 years. How old are you? Yeah. And, and the, the students, the Chinese students that go back to China, they have a form now they have to fill out. You know what's on the form? Are you a Christian? Not are you a Buddhist? Not are you an atheist? Are you a Christian? Why are they singling you out? This is warfare. They're going to persecute you. How do you disciple your, your students when they return? That's a good question. It's not an easy answer. Don't, don't think there's an easy answer to that. How do, how do we do that? What do we do to prepare them for going back to such places? India. Recently, uh, India has um, expelled uh, 40,000 NGOs, NGOs, non-government organizations. A lot of these organizations are Christian organizations. Uh, a lot of them aren't, um, but they're there doing great things for the economy and to help people. And God is, uh, God, India is throwing them out left and right because so many of them are Christian. This is, this is warfare. Uh, so many visas for missionaries, even going undercover, are not being renewed. Uh, India is uh, practically a closed country. Middle East, Isl uh, Islamic countries, closed to the gospel. Did you know that 86% of all Hindus and Muslims around the world and Buddhists do not personally know a Christian? What? How can that be? 86%. Here's, uh, this is to lighten up the mood. Dave Barry, when trouble arises and things look bad, there's always one individual who perceives a solution and is willing to take command. Very often, that person is crazy. <laughs> Think about that. Kind of describes our minor prophets and maybe leaders of today. But we'll go, won't go there. Okay. Uh, good news. If at any time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down, and destroyed, and if that nation, I warned, repents of its evil, then I will relent and not inflict on it disaster I had planned. There's hope, folks. We can do this. What do we need to do? What do we need to do? First of all, let me just suggest revival in our personal devotion life is is at the top of the list. It must start right here. It must start at home. If my people called by my name, we have to start here. Two, we have to take care of underprivileged Christian brothers and sisters. It's the greatest testimony to the world, to the non-believer, to see how 
Christians love one another. Love is infectious. It is welcoming. It's life-changing. We need to love one another. We need to take care of our own. Um, we need to take care of the underprivileged outside of the church. We need to not just stop at ourselves. In the first century, the non-believers were confounded why it is the Christians were taking care of their poor and the world's poor. How could they do this? Why are they taking care of our poor? That is the message of the gospel coming in the back door. Christians must be involved in social issues, not by voting taxes to take care of that. We need to roll up our sleeves and open our wallets and get involved. Huge difference in the gospel. Four, we need to embrace the mandate to win friends for a gospel's sake. Um, let's just face it, sheep stink. And if you hang, hang with the stink, it's going to rub off on you. But God came to become a man. Wow. Then I can go hang with those sheep. I can go hang with those non-believers. I can go hang with the lost. And I can do it for the same reason Jesus came to us. We need to intentionally disciple so that we infiltrate every sphere of society. We need Christian politicians. We need Christian artists. We need Christian accountants and plumbers and businessmen. It should be that every non-Christian employee's dream to work for a Christian. <laughs> Could you imagine? And in reverse, it should be every non-Christian employer's dream to hire a Christian. Why wouldn't you want to? Why aren't we standing out to be different? And then six, we need to send, and this isn't my number, this is Fred Marquette's number, 200,000 new young missionaries. We need to saturate the world. The, the 200,000 is we, we, we need to go after this like we went after homeland security. We need to go after this thing. We need to partner with people that maybe think differently on eschatology. It's okay. They love Jesus. All right? It's okay. We'll fight about the eschatology in the back room. It's a fun topic. I hope you have fun talking about that. I love talking about that, but that's not the main thing. Okay? But let me uh, highlight the word young. Why do they need to be young? You ready? Here's why. Who would you rather send? Huh? That guy on the left, man, he's a chick magnet. <laughs> That's my high school graduation picture 40, 40 years ago this summer. Or that crazy guy behind his desk. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, what is God doing in ISI? Well, God is sending over a million international students to study in America every year, and that number grows every year. I talked to the provost at Montana State. He said the numbers have never been higher. They weren't even in yet when I had this conversation the week of, uh, of orientation. Um, these students are often their best and their brightest getting PhDs and master's degree, and they're going to return with enormous influence. Do you see where this is leading? Scores of foreign world leaders have been educated in the U.S. They come here and then they go home with our education. And yet, 70% of those students will never be invited to an American home. They'll never have an American friend. 80% will never be invited to a church. <laughs> and fewer will ever hear the gospel. And when asked, when they return, what do Christians believe? Well, they're going to go, 
Well, and they're going to tell them what they saw in the dorms. And they're going to tell them what they saw on TV because everyone knows America is a Christian country, right? That's what they're going to do. That's the gospel going around the world according to the non-believer who doesn't get reached while they're here. People, listen to me. They're sending their people to America to get an education so they can go home and be successful. That's what they think is going on. Let me tell you what's going on. God is bringing them to America so that you and I can win them to Jesus. How do we do that? No easy chore. I believe in friendships. I believe we need to break down those barriers. I need to believe in prayer. I need to believe in, in consistency. I was listening to, um, ah, you know, his name will come to me, a famous um, um, apologist, and he was saying that in the Quran, there's five words you could translate as love. Every one of those words in the Quran are associated with performance to get Allah's blessing. They don't know what love is. We need to love them. They think we're loving them to get something from them. We need to stay in it until they realize, no, we're being loved because God is radically loving us. And they can have a relationship with him too. So what can you do? Oh, let me, let me tell you what's going on. This, this is a quote. Um, nope. This is our president uh, and CEO, Doug Shaw. This is what he told me in person, and, he, and then I heard him tell the, the whole group. It was great, because I, I heard it first. This is kind of cool. He said, when ISI celebrated their 50th anniversary, uh, we could account for 27,000 students, or just over 500 per year, who came to become followers of Jesus and returned home. But this, our 65th year, he told me this in June. He said, we have averaged over 4,000 a month 4,000 a month, and we may very well reach 50,000 this year of people, international students, who have come to America. Do you see what's going on? God is reaching the world, and he, the, the world is white for harvest. So this is what we do. We just want to befriend them. We want to say, hey, I'll take you to Walmart. I'll take you to the airport. I'll take you to nation, National Park. Uh, I'll bring you to my home. I'll teach you our tradition. We want to befriend. We want every single student to have a friend in America. That's a believer. Become a friendship partner. Um, talk to Dave. Talk to myself. Uh, show up. We have uh, meetings at the Bowman House on the first and the third Friday of every month. That's right off Greek Way, uh, kind of the corner of uh, Kegi and, and, um, and Wilson. And international students come. You know, you feed them and they'll come, right? <laughs> Well, we don't want to just feed them. We want to feed them so that you will be there and befriend them and hang with them and tell them about American football and fishing and hunting and whatever you want. doesn't matter. Shooting. I've taken them shooting over and they love to shoot. <laughs> and that's opportunity to win a friend. All right. It's 51. I need to close. Where's, where's my guy? Um, is there any more? No, there's no more. Let me just pray for us as we find out what God is doing in the world. Um, Father, I, I recognize that this little 30-minute presentation just scratches the surface of what you are doing around the world in macro ways and what you're doing in individual lives to call people to yourself. 
And thank you, Father, that it, there's more than just a transformation and regeneration of a soul that takes place that we kind of have to take by faith, but that we can actually see the difference of those people who embrace your truth and begin to live differently and bring life to themselves and life to their neighbors and friends so that poverty is changed and infant mortality change and, and, and uh, people eat better and they're not under the oppression of dictators and peace comes and on and on and on because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because of the good news about what you have done to reconcile us to yourself and, and make us new starting on the inside out. Father, there are people here who are trying to figure out where you'd have them after they leave here, after they're done studying and thinking and being educated and getting grounded in the truth of the scriptures. And I, Father, know and ask that you, you, you want to disperse them around this world and across this country and every aspect of culture. And maybe some here want to just go head on and find the people that you have brought to this country and begin the long and sometimes slow process of just winning a friend. That that friendship might be the foundation of the truth that will transform their lives. Thank you, Father, for using this people. Thank you for this hour. And I thank you for the attention that they have given uh, this hour. And I pray now for us, I pray for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.